Hello, welcome to Hat Trick. We are back after a week off, and we are here right in time for the start of the NHL playoffs. We we posted a little hype video uh, to our social media accounts. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check it out on YouTube or on our Instagram account. But um, it, it led me to think, Elliot, Braden, in, in, in terms of like you being the only two of the three of us that live in the city of Edmonton, what's the energy like leading into Monday night? Is it... Is it like tepid, uh, kind of cautious optimism, or is everybody real fired up? No, I, I live downtown, and uh, the Canucks played here the last game of the season, and so a bunch of people park around my place and kind of walk into the stadium. And the Let's Go Oilers chants were heard loud and clear all through downtown. And uh, it only gets me excited, one, for the playoffs, but two, for the new Moss Pit that's going to be the Oilers' viewing area. I don't know if that's the actual decided name. What do they call it? The I think they're saying the Moss Pit, which I think is sick. I think it's a great name. Uh, that's going to be the viewing area right by the arena. And uh, I'm really stoked for that. And if it's not called the Moss Pit, I'll be incredibly disappointed. <laughs> I live on the south side of the river, and I haven't heard a single Let's Go Oilers chant yet. So hopefully come Monday, uh, that will turn, turn around. I'm sure we're going to see a bunch of flags flying and, uh, and orange and blue out in full support. Listen, remember I've been what, downtown, I've been downtown. Uh, there's been tons of flags down here for the last three months, so I don't know what you're talking about. Fantastic. Wait, those, those aren't Oilers flags, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember when we were kids? Do you remember when we were kids during those, like, Oilers-Stars playoff series in the late 90s when, like, every kid with any self-respect would make a homemade sign and stand yeah. on the corner and say honk for the Oilers? Is that still a thing, or are the kids of today just – Two on their uh, Twitters and Instagrams and not paying any attention to trying to disrupt the flow of traffic. I think it's easier now that they've gone back to the orange because orange is a, one of those colors in the sticky uh, in the marker uh, box that's easier to find than copper. Uh, but I think Fair I enough. think many kids, uh, it, like you said, if they had any respect, <laughs> are, are making some incredibly exciting uh, uh, fan gear for for the playoffs. Never mind. I'm 32, and I'm going to be out on the street with a helmet. Hug for the Oilers. Full body baby. paint. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> this little preamble just as a tease for what we're about to get to. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right. So let's pick up right where we just were. It's the Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings. The uh, the Gretzky matchup if you will uh these two his teams obviously have some very entwined history um and yet not a lot of um sort of i don't know like heated playoff rivalries of late but we have had some very heated regular season games let's start with this matchup in general how do you feel Braden, after the season series against la going in obviously they've been banged up they're one of the surprise teams i think you can say in the nhl they they really struggled through some adversity and yet they put themselves you know, in third in the, uh, in the division and, and, and find themselves in a, in a matchup uh, without home ice, which is great for the Oilers in second place. But after the season series, how do you feel about the Oilers LA's uh, matchup? Well, after the season series, definitely feeling um, confident, uh, having seen what the Oilers can do with the, the lineup and the matchups, the Kings, they've got some interesting pieces, a Jersey's one to watch. Uh, it, it's nice that uh, we're not going to see the likes of Drew Doughty in this series, but the LA Kings are nothing to sneeze at. They've won a cup before with many of the players that are still on this roster. Anze Kopitar, Dustin Brown, who's going to be retiring at the end of the season. Uh, Jonathan Quick, this is another goalie who, like our own, uh, is up there in years and and uh, and experience. So, uh, so you know, last year I would have said the same thing with the Winnipeg Jets matchup, and sure enough, we got swept. So, it's not something you can uh, you can rely on uh, in terms of what they did in in the regular season. But I think with the momentum coming off of uh, the last, I mean quarter of the season here maybe even just back until uh, or since jay woodcraft came aboard i'm feeling very very confident in uh what the depth shows us this year and and just where the team is in terms of its uh its firing power yeah i'm less confident probably of partly because of the last three or four years of being an oilers fan and particularly last year going into this series i think this is one of the most uh, unbalanced series going in, you have to expect Edmonton's expected to win and, and win easily just based on 
the season that they've had and the team that they're carrying bringing in. But that's the way that Edmonton was last year and got swept in four games. So I am worried about that. Drew Doughty is a big loss for the LA Kings, but we haven't seen Darnell Nurse in a week and a half, two weeks. We don't know where he's at and if he's going to be playing and that's going to impact the Oilers for sure. He'll be back. And He'll be back. He'll again, be back. As I said, our gutted Oilers depth heading into this season on defense. I hope to God I'm wrong doesn't come back to bite us because I am really concerned about the fact that if Darnell Nurse doesn't play in the majority of this series, what that means for Oilers uh, chances moving forward. That being said, I, I bring this right. They come in with a lot of confidence. They've been really strong. They've had the strongest first third of the year, first quarter of the season and one of the strongest last quarters of the season. Um, but the Oilers are always a question mark. I, I mean, who has confidence in this goaltending tandem right now? Not me, and I don't think most Edmonton Oilers fans, if you look at it critically, even you know, even when you think about the last uh, month of the season and, and the way that Smith and Koskin kind of turned it around, I think there's lots of unanswered questions here. The, King, the Oilers were never able to score a power play goal against the Kings all year long. I think I, that, that makes me worried. That's going to be a, a starting narrative to begin uh, this series and and if God forbid the Oilers aren't able to capitalize on a power play and then end up losing game one, that's only going to continue to grow as a narrative. I see lots of ways the Oilers can lose this series. <laughs> sure. I mean, I see lots of ways they can win it too. I mean, uh, let me go point by point through what your things, your, your, your concerns are. Number one, the Edmonton Oilers defensive depth may not have started the season well, but it finished really well. Uh, Brett Kulak was a really important addition to this team because he added a little bit more of that stay at home defense attitude. Anyone who's like, Oh, I haven't seen a lot from him. That's because he's doing his freaking job. He is not out there being flashy. He is not out there making um, dangerous picks and dangerous choices. He is making smart veteran choices. Let's remember Brett Kulak was on the number one defensive pairing that went all the way to the Stanley cup finals last year for Montreal. That is important. Recent veteran experience that will help that defensive core. Chris Russell has not been anything less than a, blocking machine no different than he was for the last 10 years in the nhl that will be important in the playoffs yes darnell and his injury is a big question mark he skated today looks healthy enough to go we'll see but the even without him for the last three or four games defensively this team has still been very very strong evan bouchard is a genuine nhl superstar on the rise what an amazing first season in the in the pros to show you that he can play both ways does he make risky decisions yeah but so did ethan bear so does uh, Tyson Berry. That's what part of the Oilers team's structure is built around. Having a guy who can make those important offensive moves from the defensive side, get the puck up into the offensive zone and attack and have the other guy stay back or have the other guy play a little bit safer. Cody Cece for me has been phenomenal all season long, made smart choices, made good moves. He's put points on the board. He's been a very valuable player. Duncan Keith, steady hand. No, he is not going to be flashy. No, he's not going to win you a series, but he may very well make one or two of those really critical plays defensively. I'm a lot less worried about the Edmonton Oilers than I was let's say January or December. I think that they've come back under Jay Woodcroft in a really good system. I also really like this 11 and seven structure that he is running that allows the defense to have that extra body on the bench, not only in case the player goes down, but also just to ensure that those minutes are shared a little bit better. And in the flip side of it, it helps offensively because your depth offense, and we have seen how valuable it is for them, is getting more minutes than they did under the traditional uh, 12 and six structure. Guys like Derek Ryan, guys like Devin Shore, and even guys like Zach Cassian, who have had difficult years earlier in the season, we've seen them start to produce much better under Jay Woodcroft than they have. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those guys, one of those guys has the potential, and I'm not saying who it's going to be, whether it's Warren Fogel, you throw in that mix too. There are several guys who have the opportunity to be this year's Fernando Pisani or this year's sort of depth guy who shows up when you don't expect them and makes big things happen, much like Zach Cassian did, to be fair, the last time this team advanced in the playoffs, right? He came out in that playoff series like, a, like an absolute animal, and that's what this team needs. Well, and yeah. maybe this structure of the 11 and 6 will give them that. Finally, and I know I'm rambling, but finally, goaltending you have two of the hottest goaltenders right now when you actually look statistically of the second or the third quarter of this season so mike smith was injured most of the year that is true he is 40 years old he is very close to the end of what has been a very successful nhl career but he has a lot left to prove and he is showing that the fight in the dog is not gone even if all of the you know health and 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 injury things that have bugged him still make flare up 
The truth is he's fought and pushed the Oilers to where they got to, um, catching LA, fighting for second, taking second, and then earning home ice. A lot of that is on Mike Smith's phenomenal play. If he plays like he has in the last three weeks, and really that's all I judge this team on because this is the team that's now going to the playoffs. I don't care what the team did in December. I don't even care what the team did in November. The truth is you are the team you are come playoff time, and this team right now is hot, and that is what where my confidence comes from. The Oilers lost last season in four games to the Winnipeg Jets because they were outcoached. And if there's one coach in the hawk in this league that can outcoach Jay Woodcroft and the Edmonton Oilers, it's the Edmonton Oilers former coach Todd McClellan, who Jay Woodcroft trained under. That's my that's one of my concerns, and that's why I'm apprehensive. I feel what, a, like what a great narrative, though, right? I feel like I know where you guys are going to land on this in terms of who's going to win the series. But what I'm more interested in how many games. Right, right, right. Well, so for yeah, so I, I I'll lead into that saying that I think. This is, like I said, a really great narrative uh, student-teacher matchup. You look at what Sean McVay did against Bill Belichick. I think you're going to see a lot of that, that kind of knowing what, uh, you know, Jay Woodcroft, it's not like he's just finished working with him. He spent most of his career all the way back to Detroit, I think, and San Jose uh, working with Todd McClellan, knowing his schemes, knowing his systems, and then being able to further that on, you know, with his own staff and Bakersfield and everything. I think that this is going to be a, a six game series though. I think that LA's got, uh, I, I think LA's going to push this a little bit for, for the Oilers. And I think that I, I'm hoping that uh, I have a feeling LA is going to take one in Edmonton and that's good. That's going to ruffle some feathers here, but uh, I think it's going to be six. Oilers and six. Jordan? Uh, all right. Oilers and six is Braden's pick. What do you think, Elliot? Do you want to make a prediction on this uh, this series? Well, I was going to wait for your prediction. For- <laughs> <laughs> Me? Oh, to be completely honest, I was going to go with six, the Oilers and six, too. Um, but uh, just to be different, I'll go Oilers and five. I, I look at the season series against LA, and they were tight games, but they were also high-scoring games, and I think that still favors Edmonton. I think Edmonton has the, the firepower that if this starts getting into a bit of like river hockey, that they do have the, the offensive punch. And unlike last year, I think going in against Winnipeg, the Oilers, the way the Oilers match up against LA is that they, the, the one, the one system that LA has struggled against all season has been teams that move the puck fast, uh, uh, quick, quick uh, transitions. And that's what the Oilers have been good at. And, and you could see that look, LA won the very first game of this series, right? When the Oilers were in their sort of dark days in December, they haven't, they haven't been able to catch them since they went to a shootout in May 30th. But if you watched that game, Edmonton played phenomenal all game long and they just were up against a really good goaltender. So I'll take Edmonton in five. I think this series is going one of two ways. Either the Oilers <laughs> are going to win in four or the Kings are going to win in seven. That's okay. Okay. Hey, who, who do you guys think starting goaltender our first game? Is it Mike? Yeah. It's Mike. Smith. Or do they go? Uh, yeah. No, it's Mike Smith. Look, I think this, I think this team has told without even saying it, I think this team has played the way they have played under Mike Smith, the same way they played most of last season under Mike Smith. He is the emotional heartbeat of what this core group wants. He is a fighter and a, and a scrapper and he, he never ever makes me feel comfortable when he's in goal because he's playing that older style of goaltending where he's not fundamentally sound, but it's the fight in him that really, I think drives this team. And when they win with him back there, um, Mm -hmm. it just sort of motivates them. I think you have to start Mike Smith is just as a sort of a veteran courtesy. He's played too well recently for that not to happen. The question mark is you lose one or two games here early in the series. How fast do you flip to Miko? You do have a tandem here, but the struggle is what happens if a guy has like a great night and then you lose the next game in overtime. You can't just sort of flip to the other guy. You really do have to decide who you're going to kind of ride with and see how it goes for a little while, unless it, you know, unless the series goes sideways. But um, yeah, Mike, I think Elliot, you think so? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been the bane. This was the bane of Dave Tippett as the NHL coach in two playoff series. I think he started the wrong goalie, right? He started Miko Koskinen last year when he should have started Smith. And the year previous in the lockout shortened season, he started uh, Smith when he should have started Koskinen. That's going to be the first test for Jay Woodcroft. I think that it is going to be Mike Smith. I think it should be Mike Smith. Um, But what happens after that is anyone's, Yes. And it's, I would hope that 
there's a bit more of a plan beyond game one internally uh, because I think what's happened in previous years is that uh, the games have dictated the goaltender schedule and in a tandem, you think you need to be doing something different. I just hope that like, if say knock on wood, they were to lose game one, everybody just kept their cool. It's a, it's a series. Right. And that, that doesn't mean let's, let's freak out and change goalies. Let's change everything. It's just like, it's just one game. Let's learn from that and get to the next one. I'd like to see the others go Smith, Smith, Koskinen and announce it so that everyone knows. Two games at home with Smith, first game. Nah, you can't do that. You can't do that, Elliot. You can't do that because what happens if the guy does another back-to-back shutout situation and then now all of a sudden your other goaltender's been told he's going to get something and doesn't get it? I think you have to go game by game. And I would also say, Braden, much like what you just said, let's let's take it one game at a time as fans. The truth is that has been James Woodcroft's probably most defining characteristic as a coach right now. Yeah. It's from literally Moment. day one when the team was at sort of that low, low point of having to change a coach midseason. He came in and said, look, we're going to take this one day at a time. They're riding high on like a six or seven game uh, at home ro- uh, winning streak. And he's still saying the exact same thing. They, he does not get ahead of himself, whether he does or not behind the door. The, the scenes is irrelevant. His, his public persona is all about, we're going to take this about today. We're going to focus on tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And I think if the Oilers go into this series with that mindset, as opposed to perhaps the energy, I think that led them into Winnipeg. And last year is weird because obviously you're going into that series it's not a divisional opponent because you've only played an entirely Canadian division. It was a very yeah. weird situation in general. I also mm-hmm. think there is a thing that we have to think about that does not factor into the last two playoff series for the Edmonton Oilers. And that is the fans in the building. This is mm-hmm. a huge part of what, what the Oilers have done in the last couple of weeks. They have been phenomenal at home. I'm not saying that's because of the fans, but I know that playing well at home is always a part part and parcel because of the energy in the space. And I know that the energy in that space, as Elliot pointed out in the, in the, in the preamble here, that, you know, the energy is going to be off the charts. And if the Oilers can feed off that and play as well at home as they have in the last month, then they're going to start the series off in a really good way. Let's really quickly run through the rest of the NHL. Just, we'll just go series by series. And all you need to do is sort of give me either your like, you know, you can make a pick if you want, or just give me a, a little, something something on what you think this this these series look like let's start um in the east. so at the beginning of the season uh during our first first sort of thing i think i made a prediction about um one of the two florida teams would be the, the team coming out of the east and obviously florida and tampa had phenomenal season let's start with the florida washington matchup uh both teams over 100 points on the season but florida really phenomenal they the the 58 18 and 6 record just a dominant team from start to finish a team that has almost felt like they've been kind of lying in wait for a few years much like a uh panther anyway um they're playing against a team that they uh they played three times this year florida won um twice and and washington won one so they you know it's a two and one series whatever Florida, Washington. What do you think, Elliot? You want to make a pick or uh, what was your thoughts on Florida, Washington? Yeah, I feel pretty confident that Florida is going to take this series relatively handily. I think Ovechkin's hurt. He may not be. He may be playing hurt. No one really knows. Anyway, let's all we care about right now at the Capitals is Ovechkin winning, becoming the leading goal scorer in NHL history. And the fewer games he has to play in the playoffs, the better. (laughs) So let's say Florida and four for the sake of that. There you go. Braden. Yeah, Florida and five. Uh, Florida is a juggernaut and you got to watch out for that team. Yeah. I take Florida in four as well. All right. Let's jump to the other uh, Florida team. As I also said, it's going to be either the Panthers or Tampa Bay. I still stand by that in the finals. That would be a third consecutive Stanley cup appearance. And if they win it, it would be three in a row for Tampa. That's a dynasty building number right there. If they're not already a dynasty and they are certainly a juggernaut, Uh, they play Toronto. Is there a more like, kind of heartbreaking division to be in right now than that for Toronto. You literally set an all-time season points record as a franchise. Your top scorer wins the Rocket Richard and sets a career, uh, pardon me, a franchise record for goals in a season in Austin Matthews, who was just completely um, otherworldly for Toronto. And yet you come up against the two-time Stanley Cup defending champs in round one. Tampa, I believe won the season series. Yeah. Three to no, pardon me. It was a split. It was a draw. It was two, two Toronto, Tampa Bay. Who do you got Elliot? 
Uh, yeah, what a tough out the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be this year. There's that whole thing, and you know, we'll talk about the Raptors later, around like how d- difficult it is to beat a team that's full of champions. Uh, this is a team that's full of two-time champions, and I think they're a really tough team to beat. However, I have lots of confidence. In <laughs> Come on. This year. It's going to be a long, hard, grindy series. Uh, but I think that the Maple Leafs are going to take it on the road in game six. Braden? I think uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to win in seven. I think it's going to go the distance. And I think that they're going to win their seventh game, uh, being down by four in the first period. And they're going to come back and beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in uh, Boston Bruins fashion. Yeah. Uh, I'll take Tampa too. I was going to say seven as well. I think it will be a long series. I, I, I think it has the potential to be a long series, but I will, I'll do what Elliot did with the, uh, with the Oilers situation. I think either Toronto wins it in four because they've just figured it out and Vasilevsky either tears his groin or just does not show up or Tampa takes it in seven. That's what I'll say for this one. Cause I think Toronto does have the potential to surprise the, the, the two-time champs. It's really going to come down to um, goaltending. And at the end of the day, Toronto's goaltending is completely inferior to probably the best goalie in the league in Vasilevsky. Yep. Not probably the best goalie in the league. Uh, All right, Carolina, Boston. Here's a fun one and a tasty one for you. Uh, This has been a completely Carolina-dominated season series. And when I say that, I mean Carolina won 3-0, 7-1, and 6-0 against Boston this season. It has been all Carolina, um, who, again, you know, a little quiet out there in the East had a great season. Uh, Who do you have? Carolina, Boston. Elliot? Uh, so begins the Boston Bruins rebuild. Carolina, I think, will handle Boston. I don't think it'll be easy. I somewhere between five and six, and I'm leaning towards leaning towards six games. I do think the Hurricanes have been understated this year. They remind me of sort of like the Minnesota of the East, and I will uh, I will say that they make it to the second round in six games over Boston. Nice. Nice. I think they're going to, uh, I'm with Elliot. I think this is the turning point for the Boston Bruins. Uh, it's impressive. They made it even to, uh, the playoffs, but Carolina is going to take this in four, I think. Uh, and if you remember at the beginning of the season, I predicted Carolina getting out of the East. So I think this is the team to watch and they're going to take out the Boston Bruins in four. Yeah. I also had Carolina in four. I think when you look at the matchup throughout the season, and I know you can't wait too much on that, but when you look at a matchup that lopsided, they clearly know how to play against Boston and they have succeeded there. Also, just one more point on you saying is, you know, it's kind of a surprise Boston's even there, which is crazy. But when you compare the East and the West in terms oh, of points out of the playoffs, I mean, the New York Islanders are the next closest team to making the playoffs and they are 16 points out of the playoffs. Yeah, Columbus was 19. Buffalo was 25. Go to the West. Vegas missed the playoffs by three points. Vancouver, who struggled and then came on at the end, only missed the playoffs by five points. You guys, you all laughed at me at the concept of Vancouver making the playoffs. They were very close. They were, 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 you just said five points. Five points is five points, but at one point they were back by like 20 points. They did have a great comeback. They were just never going to catch those teams. They were never close. From when you made that prediction, they were never going to catch them. And they didn't. It stands up. New York, Pittsburgh. You want to talk about a team about to do a rebuild? That's Boston. How about Pittsburgh? Is Pittsburgh at the end of the Sidney Crosby sort of storyline here? I mean, he's not done his career necessarily, but is Pittsburgh still all Pittsburgh is capable of being? And are these New York Rangers for real? How about uh, how about we start there, Braden? Uh, who do you have? Were you about to say the New York Jets? Because I think that that yeah. I, it, okay. So the Rangers were very good this year. Shesterkin probably will win the Vesna. But I, I, I'm actually going to I'm going to go in the favor of Pittsburgh in this in, in that I, I anticipate an upset and I think it'll be in six games. Yeah, this is probably the toughest one of all the series in the playoffs. I think this is the toughest one to as opposed to the series not in the playoffs. Adjudicate. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, Correct. The one the Vancouver Canucks are in. Okay, <laughs> all the series this year, the play ends for next year, the relegation round. Um I, I really struggle with this one. I don't know. I don't, I also don't, I struggle with the the premise that the Penguins are nearing a rebuild. I'm not sure that they're there yet either. At least I don't know that Pittsburgh has accepted it. I will lean towards the Penguins, but I think it's seven. And I think it's maybe a surprise game seven. There's going to be some back and forth in this. 
the Rangers are close, but not quite there. I don't know. This is tough. I'm going to say Penguins in seven, but it's really a coin flip, and I really don't know what I'm talking about in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Rangers in six. I think the Rangers are much more for real. When you look at the firepower they've had all year, uh, and as, as Braden said, definitely this year's best goaltender. Um, and, I, and I would also say the great thing New York has that a lot of teams would wish for is they have a genuine number one in Shesterkin, but they have like a number one in waiting in, in, uh, yeah. in Gorgiev. And so if, let's say you have some kind of freak injury or some kind of freak issue with Shesterkin, that team still has a better goaltender than Pittsburgh has in their second guy. Um, well, Casey DeSmith's so. been pretty good this year. Tristan sure. Jarius got a foot injury right sure. now. So. But again, I think the Rangers... So- the Rangers take this goaltending matchup, uh, either guy. And I, I think that that in the playoffs, especially in the round one, can, can, can make a factor. We'll see. It's just always so hard to bet against Crosby and Malkin. I know we're aging out of this. I know we're going to watch the end of this. Uh, but this, I just don't, I'm not sure this is the year. I don't know, guys. All right, let's jump over to the West. We've done our Oilers and LA picks. Uh, let's go to the bottom of the table first. We've got Minnesota, St. Louis. This is a really interesting one too. But Minnesota adds Marc-Andre Fleury. They have Talbot there. They've got some very good goaltending. And obviously St. Louis, um, you know, still kind of hanging around following um, their success for the Stanley Cup finals a couple years ago. Pardon me, the Stanley Cup championship a couple years ago. They're kind of in that place where they're not quite ready to to move on into the whatever the next chapter is. And yet they're not at the top like they once were, but they, you know, they still got a lot of potential. And these two teams have a lot of animosity. Elliot, uh, who do you have? Minnesota, St. Louis. Listen, guys, the Minnesota fucking wild. I think they are awesome. They're sweet. They're a really good team. You think about the Minnesota teams that we used to play against and they used to just like, used to be a slumber fest, 2-1, 3-1 with an empty netter. This team's completely flipped its its script. They're offensive. They're they're high-flying. They're fun. Doesn't Offensive, not offensive, right? They're offensive. They're offensive and offensive. They're <laughs> offensively offensive and uh, because they're fucking wild. And I just love them. And when inevitably, when you love a team, you, you got to cheer for them. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they are my team coming out of the West after the Oilers. I like them a lot. And I am going to be hard and fast on Minnesota for as long as they're in the playoffs this year. Let's go Minnesota in seven. Oh, a long one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, I think Jordan, you, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but the addition of Marc-Andre Fleury, I think is a, a, a tipping point. Uh, when you look at the, just the matchup between tandems, I don't even know who they start over Cam Talbot and Fleury. Like they're both, they're both incredibly, they're both playing incredibly well. Uh, Jordan Bennington in St. Louis has completely fallen off. They've had some saving grace with Huso this year, but I think the, the pep, in the wild are going to, are going to propel them uh, in a five game win uh, series winning series. All right. Here's the thing. So I, I agree with Elliot. The wild are genuinely good team right now. And they're very interesting, but I'm also really, when you look at this matchup, they're like, they're, I would argue they're very evenly matched offensively, defensively. uh, And if goaltending is there for St. Louis, they're evenly matched goaltending wise. Like this is no, they're not. No, they're not. They're not, not close, not even close. This is, these are two teams though, that when you look at how they line up, they have lines that line up. I I think they have lines that line up complimentary. You've got guys who can shut down Minnesota's top players on St. Louis's team. Tory Krug has been healthy for them. He's played really, really well down the stretch. Here's the big thing for me is the special teams in this series is going to be really, really critical. St. Louis is one of the best power plays in the last five weeks of the regular season. They've been absolutely on fire and the Minnesota wild Pat penalty kill has fallen off the charts. They fell. They stayed coming into January. They were, I believe in the top 10 in penalty killing since then they've dropped all the way down to the 23rd in the league. They have really struggled in the last four weeks. They have averaged two power play goals against a game. That is insane. Like that is, that is, that is the end of it. So it will really come down to whether or not they can get their penalty kill working and if they can shut down St. Louis when St. Louis gets their opportunities. But I think this is a much more even matched, even with how good Minnesota has looked all season, then I guess you guys are giving them credit for. I think this well, is just, still, I, I just think that I will goal, still yeah, take Minnesota. Is not a matchup. I, I will still take Minnesota, but I'm taking them in seven. I do think that the St. Louis blues are going to have games where they 
out muscle and out power um, and out special teams, the Minnesota wild. And I also think there's something to be said, like Minnesota, as Elliot's pointed out, like they have been slowly getting better and better, but there's an inexperience factor here for a lot of guys on this team. Um, young guys who are the sort of the offensive core Kaprizov and those yep. kind of guys, like this is still a big stage for them to have to perform. And we've seen guys sometimes falter a little bit under that in let's say game three, if you're down, you know, if, if the series is tied and you get to that game three in the first time you're on the road, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Minnesota in seven, the Colorado avalanche and the Nashville predators. Uh, a lot of people thought this was going to be Calgary, Nashville, right? Till the end of the season, this flipped. So I think a lot of people in Calgary were hoping and looking forward to playing the Nashville Predators because th- those two teams have had a very exciting um, season series against each other and it got testy. But Dallas uh, slips past uh, Nashville, so they get the slightly better uh, seed there in, in, the, in the West. Colorado, Nashville. Elliot, who do you have? Uh, yeah, this would be closer if Soros wasn't hurt. And I think like, e- That's was insane, yeah. maybe yeah. not like irreparably damaged, but like damaged for the playoffs, uh, which is too bad. The flames did it. And then they don't even reap the rewards or it happened in the flames game. Well, and big Dave Riddick would have been the, is the, is their backup goalie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Flame. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, let's it's, it's sad luncheon for, I mean, I can't even make a justification for Nashville winning one of the game here. <laughs> Braden. Uh, I mean, yeah, again, when we're talking about uh, Carolina and, and Florida, I think Colorado is one of the ultimate uh, powers in the West here. I think they're going to, uh, it, yeah, they're going to win this series, but I think it's going to be in five because I think Nashville is going to be able to pull one out at home with their fans uh, at home ice advantage. You can't sleep on some of those players. There's some incredible talent still with Nashville, but I don't think they have enough uh, to be able to do anything really to, to get out of that series alive. Yeah. I mean, Nashville's the lowest uh, ranked team by points um, in the entire playoffs. Uh, they, they didn't even get to a hundred point. A few teams in the West didn't get to hundred points, but they got to 97 points. They're, they, they're lucky to be here. I think at all, when you again, consider how close Vegas and Vancouver and Winnipeg point wise uh, are, are on their heels. Um, Nashville obviously did enough to get here and they, they deserve a spot. But when you look at that season series against Colorado and you think about how these two teams match up, Colorado is just absolutely um, ferocious. I will say this, the Edmonton Oilers had a couple really good games against Colorado late in the season. Now I'm not saying Nashville and Edmonton are on the same plane, but what it proved was that Colorado, if you are pushed both physically, but more importantly with, with offensive speed, Colorado does have some weaknesses on the back end. Some of their defensive guys, um, Bowen Byron, um, Kale McCarr are offense first thinking guys. It's got them great success this season because they can attack, 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 but there are places to exploit Colorado avalanche. And again, an opportunity could be there if Nashville can figure out the matchup because Nashville does have some bigger guys and some, some size that, that will make it difficult for some of Colorado's guys. I mean, I'm saying all this kind of half-heartedly because Colorado's taking the series in four games. So. I'm yeah. just giving Nashville fans hope, but don't smash don't. Smashville. Yeah. Well, that was a waste of three and a half minutes of our. <laughs> All right. Well, what we was it? Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter, I believe, about two months ago, Daryl Sutter was asked about facing Colorado in the playoffs. He goes, "Yeah, that'd be a waste of two weeks for whomever gets them." Eight days. He eight said, days. "Eight days. Waste of eight days." <laughs> well, let's go to Daryl Sutter's team. They find themselves at the top of the Pacific. Uh, a very good season overall for the Calgary Flames. I would say they trailed off a little bit from their really, really hot, hot first sort of two thirds of the season near the end. Not that they they really showed, but they 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 kind of found a I don't know a, a plateau, if you will. They find themselves in a really interesting matchup here too, because again, they win the season series against Dallas three games with, with three wins. One of them is in overtime, but all of these games are actually tighter than than just saying wins and losses, right? We have a four, three win in overtime for, pardon me. Uh, it wasn't three, nothing. It was two and an overtime loss because Dallas wins the first game four, three in overtime. Calgary wins four, three on February 1st. And then Dallas and Calgary go again on April 21st. And that's a four, two game for Calgary. Look, these two teams match up well in terms of, size and skill but calgary just has such a powerful top line um that's what's really driven them and that markstrom has been playing phenomenally the question is can calgary overcome some of that um recent jinx that's happened to some top teams when they've had 
you know, difficult years, find themselves at the top of the heap, get to that first playoff series and then falter. That's I'm thinking the Edmonton Oilers against Winnipeg. I'm also thinking Colorado last year, both times the teams were, were leading the division and then they, they kind of got surprised. Is Calgary set up for a bit of a shock here or are they legitimately ready to, to go on a long run? What do you think, Elliot? Yeah, it's funny. You kind of biting into my point a little bit. I, I was going to take it from a little bit of a different angle. I think that the difference in importance in games leading up to the playoffs that the Flames and Stars have played will lead to a, li- a little bit of a different intensity to start uh, the series. And I could see the Stars sneaking one or even two games from Calgary at home. That being said, I think this is a six-game win for the Flames, I think they'll sort it out. I think Sutter will get his team into where they need to be right away. Um, and I think the Flames are one of those teams. They've had a great season, but I think they're actually really built for the playoffs too. The Flames are a tough out. Um, I do think the Stars bring more intensity in, in game one and potentially game two, but I think the Flames will eventually match that and sort of overmatch them in terms of skill. So I'd say the, I'd take the Flames in six. Great. Uh, I think their X factor as well, and I'm speaking about the Calgary Flames, is, is Daryl Sutter. This is the guy that came in, took over that LA Kings team halfway through the season and won them a cup. I, I, there's just there's something about what he brings to that team, uh, what, what the intensity that they bring game in, game out that, with Elliott, and that they are, they are absolutely built for the playoffs. Very, very... Uh, fierce team, and I think they're going to take Dallas out in five. Well, I'm going to go back to Elliot's little trope here. I think this goes one of two ways. Dallas in four just shocks the world, and, and Calgary completely chokes. Or Dallas in five, and Calgary gets one game. I think it's Dallas in five or Dallas in four. I legitimately think the Dallas Stars are the are, are here to slay the dragon and, 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 and take, take down the top cheese. And look, it would just be um, poetic justice for Calgary to not get their battle of Alberta against Edmonton after such a, I uh, want that. A heat. I want that sure. too. Though. I don't even want uh, you really, you want to play Calgary in round two. You want to play Calgary do. in round two. You want to play Calgary after they've already won one series. Nah, I don't want to see Calgary in the next round. Does Calgary want to play with the Oilers after they win a series? I don't want to see the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round. I don't want to see the Calgary Flames in the next round. I don't want to see any of it. You don't want to the, get to the second nope, round, is nope, what you're saying. Nope. You don't want the I would Oilers much to get rather to the play round. Dallas in the second round. I would much rather play Dallas in the second round. Well, here, okay, so just jumping right back to the Oilers, though, because we might as well. Uh, the nice thing about home advantage in this is that we have a good luck charm in that little uh, young fan, Ben. And the Oilers' record with Ben in the arena has been close to perfect. Yeah, I want to say something on this though. Like I love I love the story. I think that it's a beautiful thing that's happening for a young man who's struggling with what I don't think a lot of people are acknowledging is literally like a life-threatening if not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He is in he is in a really really dangerous place medically. I think it's all I, I think that it's a beautiful thing that people have rallied around the story and people want to support him, but let's make sure that that is the focus and take a little bit of the like pressure off of this good luck charm idea and this notion of like everybody coming out of the arena at the end of the day going yeah they want it for ben they want it for ben that's a lot of pressure for him and his family when he is fighting for his life i appreciate the sentiment and the narrative of it dry and mcdavid have done a wonderful job of celebrating this young man and and making him feel special and i'm sure that his family is incredibly grateful and appreciative for it but but let's also just hold on to the perspective of the fact that we are talking about a terminally ill young boy who yes, should be celebrated. Yes. Should be given every opportunity to enjoy every single second of this run. And look, if they go in the Stanley cup, he'll be on the ice with them at the end of it. We all know that that will be how this goes. That's important. But I also think like as fans, I think we owe it to his family to remove a little bit of the pressure of saying you're the good luck charm. And I, I, th- I mean, I appreciate what you're saying at the same time. I, I see the value and what it does to the community. It's brought a lot of, uh, attention and a lot of people together uh, around that young fan and around that the excitement of that but i do yeah I, I hear what you're saying about but, but just the pressure and i don't want to take this as a big downer but i just think it's also important as fans like take a little bit of pressure off this kid he is not the reason the oilers are winning yes it is a great story yes it is fun to sort of build up that narrative but i think more importantly let's have the Edmonton oilers win and have him be part of the story on the other side of it um without it being I don't know, uh, turning him into like some kind of totem or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm over. 
Yeah, no, we've we've definitely already we already have a mascot. That's that uh, taxidermy looking fella. The playoffs start Monday night. We've got lots to be excited about. Whether you're a hockey fan, an Oiler fan, or just a fan in of the sport in general, regardless of where you come down on it, there's going to be a palpable energy in Edmonton. I am sure of uh, a lot of Vancouver fans because we are notorious uh, bandwagon jumpers out here. Will be cheering for the Oilers because they can't bring themselves to cheer for the Flames or the Leafs, and who can blame them? So welcome to the bandwagon. If you are joining us late that's okay there is room for all of you uh and uh, that's topic one do you or someone you know own a small business are you looking to grow or to reach new customers hey why not let us help hatrick is looking for unique brands businesses and products to advertise on our show you can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on facebook instagram or twitter all right Topic one is full of much anticipation, much excitement, and much hope. Unfortunately, uh, topic two, we are at the end of what was a very um, exciting and certainly uh, made to be much more dramatic than I think some people expected after games one, two, and three. The Toronto Raptors season ends uh, after a valiant attempt to defeat history and make it to game seven and win game seven after going down three nothing against uh, the 76ers of Philadelphia, it really became a fascinating series uh, that captured a lot of attention, not only in Canada, but I think around uh, North America in general. Obviously, there's lots of storylines in the NBA playoffs, but Joel Embiid and the Toronto Raptors had a very uh, heated and exciting series. Toronto coming all the way back, as I say, to game six, just, just not able to get over the hurdle there at the end. Braden, you are a resident basketball uh, super fan. You were very critical of Shaq when he made the call that this would be a sweep. It was not. Toronto certainly put up a valiant fight. How do you feel at the end of what was a very emotional two weeks? Uh, well, ultimately, incredibly proud. Incredibly proud that this team was able to, to do what they were able to do in the series that everybody kind of had them ruled out, including Raptors fans. I, I mean, I don't think a lot of us anticipated them being the fifth seed, even being in the playoffs. I think I had them winning... Uh, just over 20 games this season. So for them to be in the position that they were in, pushing Philadelphia to a, a sixth game, uh, incredibly exciting. You know, Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year. Uh, a lot of a lot of things to be proud of for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they they put up an incredibly good fight. Uh, they they changed a lot of schemes uh, that we saw in Game Three, Game Four, even Game Five. Joel Embiid was just a little bit too much for, uh, I mean, for, for the Toronto Raptors to figure out. And I mean, I'm, I'm giving a lot of that weight to Joel Embiid. I think there were a lot of other tangibles, but ultimately they were able to shut down James Harden for the most part. They were able to shut down um, a lot of the uh, zone defense. Uh, they, they worked around that really well, I think. And uh uh, so, I mean, uh, yeah, unfortunate to see them get bounced. Uh, we do not have a first round pick this year as that went uh, with Goran Dragic uh, in the Thaddeus Young trade. But uh, so, so to be able to see them out, out of the playoffs later in the round was nice as, as that'll be a higher pick now, but uh, ultimately just really proud of this team. Elliot, um, did you watch basketball? Did you do? What do you feel? Um, where do you feel uh, the Raptors and their fans should feel uh, coming out of this? Yeah, I was really proud of the effort uh, by the Raptors. Did watch uh, more than half of the series, more than half of the games, uh, more than half of half of the games, and uh, so yeah, I did watch a lot of it, and uh, was you know really happy with what was going on. I think it was disappointing the injuries that uh, took over the team because it really would have, you know, could have meant a game seven and a much more interesting game three, I think, uh, not having Van Vliet. Let me take this in a different direction. I find it incredibly frustrating as a casual basketball fan, casual in that I watch the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs and only the playoffs, how difficult it is to discern what a foul is or isn't dependent and, and it seems as though you have to have a very good understanding of who are the best players in the league versus not the best players in the league, because they seem to get a different entire, entirely different rule book than everyone else in NBA. And I was really infuriated with games one, game two, and part of game three in the way in which the series was called. I, I don't think that it was fair. 
And it was incredibly frustrating. And it wasn't until Nick Nurse sort of inserted himself into the series in the way that he spoke that there seemed to be any sort of fairness in the way the game was called. Jo- Joel B was getting calls that were absolute horseshit. And it was, this series should have been and could have been a lot closer, but I thought the officiating was trash. And it's one of the biggest complaints I have with the NBA is that at least when I go and watch an NFL football game, I know what pass interference is. When I watch hockey for the most part, I know what a slash is. I at least know what a high stick is. Explain to me what a charge is, an offensive charge, because I don't. Because it looked like that's all Joel Embiid did for the first three games, and and, and all he did was just accept foul or again get fouls called so, against the team than anyone else. So I like I'm really frustrated with it. Let and me I, answer some of that. Big, it's a big for someone who's a casual fan. I shouldn't have to invest the entire season learning the nuances of the game to be able to understand what's going on in the playoffs, and I feel like that's what's happening. But you don't invest. <laughs> In the, well, in the, yeah. And I think if you saw more, you would you would maybe be able to see the differences in the calls. I think you're right. However, in terms of the officiating, I don't think that it's fair to lay all your laurels on that and that that's the reason they lost. Those are the reasons that they uh, uh, that they didn't make it. Game three. Uh, they turned the f- the foul differential around significantly. Philly didn't have a lead until overtime, so th- they they certainly changed the momentum of that. Uh, speaking to a fa- uh, offensive foul, the reason that you saw so many calls against Embiid, one, he's seven foot one and he can dribble the ball. When he can dribble the ball into the paint, and guys, I mean, we lost one of our biggest uh, charge guys in Kyle Lowry. You have to be planted. Your, your two feet have to be outside of the cylinder and, and you have to be taken out. The, the thing that we were seeing in that series, especially with Joel Embiid, is that guys weren't planting their feet. They were moving into him or because he's so freaking big, they had to get in front of him uh, without as much time or, or being set. And that's, what, that's, that's where those calls weren't weren't coming in in game two it was just atrocious like we they were just I mean I think he was at the fouling uh, seven times in the first quarter and you can't that one that stops the clock every time so the momentum's completely you know trashed and 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 then you know the they're they're free buckets so and then on top of that the the time that we were able to get to the foul uh, free throw line End of game three, we were we were up by two, or we were sorry, we were down by two, and we couldn't hit our own foul shots. So, it, it's it's uh, it's it's much more than officiating, I think, when it comes to specifically with the Raptors uh, uh, series. So, really quickly here before we wrap this up, let's turn our attention forward. So, what's next for the Raptors? Where do they need to go next year? to get themselves into the next sort of category of teams. Obviously they make it all the way and win the championship in large part due to the star power of Kawhi Leonard, but he's supported by a really good crop of players. Many of whom are still on this team. Obviously you mentioned Lowry's departed, but you've got Siakam who was very young during that playoff run. who's now developed into a real leader on this team. Van Vliet, who had a great playoff, great playoff run there in the championship. Now has really taken over as this team's sort of leader but what's next for them? Uh, I, I would I would ask this first. Is the most um, sort of the most attractive or most sort of important question mark what happens in Utah? Is it Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? If they are looking to be traded, are those the kind of players the Raptors should be looking at? Or um, if you were in um, New Jersey's chair right now and you were responsible for the next steps of the Raptors, Braden, where would you start? Yeah, you, you I mean, the main thing is depth scoring which is weaker than it and than it was when you went to the finals the utah thing is a very interesting piece this is something christian keeps bringing up on our on the backyard basketball podcast is is that this is a team uh now that they've been bounced again in the first round having had such success in the seasons the last four or five seasons this is definitely a team that we will see some of those players offloaded rudy gobert is an interesting player because he as well is a massive uh, center. We do not have a true center, so it would be a really, really great idea to go after a, a center 
like Rudy Gobert, but not. I don't think you want this guy. He is not an offensive player. There is no shooting ability with this guy. He's all defense. Now, if you want that, that's great, but the Raptors are fully loaded when it comes to defense. We need scoring. We need depth scoring, and if you can find a big man who can do that, that'd be great. I think the other main priority is finding um, a backup point guard. You need a guy who can offload some of the minutes from Fred Van Vliet. Uh, and, and I mean that, and that's when you, again, when you look back to the 2019 championship season, Fred Van Vliet was that guy, incredible depth scoring backup point guard could run all of the offense, could run all of the defense schemes. Uh, and that's something we're missing right now. I mean, it, it, we saw the, the very last game, game six, Scotty Barnes was our starting point guard. And there was something really, really great and exciting to see about what he could do with that. Uh, but you need a true point guard, I think, uh, coming into the next season. Yeah, and if you ask me, you just need a seven foot one guy who dribbles because apparently the rules of basketball don't apply to him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And unfortunately, unlike in the old days where there was a seven foot one guy who could dribble named Shaquille O'Neal, you can't just hack him into the line. <laughs> well, yeah, but the whole premise of hack a shack yes, was based yes. on we if you just attack the big guy and send him to the foul line, he won't burn you. But guys right. nowadays, Joel Embiid and Cat and these big guys, they can shoot. Mm-hmm. So the, my last question, and again, I, I don't mean to cut you out of this, Elliot, but you're just not quite as inside uh, on this as Braden is. Did the Raptors do enough, though, here to hurt Philly moving forward, considering the fact that now Joel Embiid is going into round two question questionable to play because he's got a concussion on a broken orbital bone? Yeah, uh, you, I mean, said, like, you said hurt. The 76 yes. <laughs> in trouble. I think they were going into the playoffs. They, I mean, all season they've kind of been in trouble. Joel Embiid is uh, a key piece. I mean, he is the piece that is Philadelphia 76ers. I think they were anticipating and hoping that James Harden was the James Harden of old, uh, the Houston James Harden. He is not that. He is a liability on defense. Um, And uh, so, yeah, with Joel, not only his – fractured orbital bone and concussion, but also a torn ligament in his thumb, his shooting thumb. Uh, I, I think that they're going to run into some problems here and they're facing a very, very difficult. I mean, the one seed in the East, the Miami heat. So I think, I think the, the end is near for the 76ers in this year's playoffs. All right. That's topic two. Do you like fast cars? Do you like when they race? Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you've just discovered the rush of racing, check out the Pit Stop Podcast presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Join Jordan, Tyler, and Braden each week as they recap every race as well as break down the biggest stories on and off the track all before setting you up for the next race in the Formula One schedule. The Pit Stop Podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. All right, topic three this week, we are doing hats off for those uninitiated listeners out there. First, thank you for listening. Number two, hats off is a segment we often do where each of us tip our hats to someone from around the sporting world who we feel deserves a moment of acknowledgement. Perhaps it's something they did on the field, ice or court, or something that they've done outside of the game itself, but that deserves to be acknowledged. So hats off this week. We will go first to Elliot Tanti. Elliot, who are you taking your hat off to today? Uh, my hats off this week is not to a person or a place, but an event. It is, of course, we are in the throes of the betfred.com World Snooker Championship. This is the most prestigious, prestigious and most important event uh, of the year for snooker professionals. And we are in the finals. The great rocket, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Wayne Gretzky of snooker, is in the <laughs> against Jed Trump, no relation to the former president. They are mid-match right now. They will begin uh, their third and fourth sessions tomorrow morning. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan right now is up 12 to 5. Very exciting race to 35. If you have a chance to check out the highlights of this year's tournament, you will not be disappointed, including at least 147, the highest score that you can achieve on a snooker table. To do it in the World Championships is absolutely outstanding. And rock the rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan nearing the end of his career, uh, potentially his last, maybe last trip to the finals of the World Championship 
certainly wa worth watching against Jed Trump, who is formidable in and of himself. So my hats off are to the world championships of snooker this week. Just really quickly, uh, because much as you have asked questions to understand Formula One better, I want to understand snooker a moment better. What exactly, why is he called Rocket? What did, where did that come from? Is he just really fast playing the game or is he really tall? That is actually, that is exactly the reason. Ronnie O'Sullivan is uncanny and, and known for playing very quickly. In fact, so fast that he no even sees him. He regularly will shoot the ball just as the referee places it back on the table. Ah. In fact, in, when we're talking about the 147, which is one of the most remarkable things you can do in any sporting event, the rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan holds the record for the quickest 147, which you can watch on YouTube, and is about five and a half minutes long. And in that five minutes, he pockets 15 red balls, 16 black balls, and the rest of the table uh, without stopping once, without missing a shot. It's incredible. But yeah, that is why he's the rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan. Very good. And as you say, he may be ending the end of his career. So, uh, well done. Hats off to Rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan. I will tip my hat to another person who very well may be nearing the end of their illustrious career. 15 years is how long Carey Price has played in the NHL. And the 34-year-old goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens had a very difficult press conference today discussing the question marks. He has not yet ruled out playing um, next year or into the future, but there are a lot more questions unanswered than answered for him at this point. Uh, obviously, Carey Price didn't start the season this year, had gone into um, the NHL's um, support program, um, had expressed some some mental health and some addiction issues that he was working through. He went through that um, program, came back, did see a little bit of action, but he really is also struggling with a very um, injured knee. He had orthoscopic uh, surgery last summer. So uh, the compounding of a lot of factors here coming into play, but uh, at the press conference, he did acknowledge that conversations most recently with his surgeon have left him feeling like there are more questions than answers. And that is where he stands. So after a 712 game career, a trip to the Stanley Cup finals last season, and obviously several gold medals for Canada, um, it would be a shame to say that this is the last we're going to see professionally of Carey Price. Um, but at the same time, if it is um, obviously somewhat out of his control and somewhat um, sad to, to see it end this way. However, if it's what's best for him, what's best for his family, we wish him all the best. Um, and it's been a pleasure watching him play. So again, more questions than answers. Maybe we'll see him back. And even if we do, um, my hat goes off to him even more so for the adversity that he is overcoming. Uh, a role model for Canadians, a role model for the Indigenous community in Canada, and a role model in general. So my hat is off to Kerry Price. Braden, round us out. I'm taking my hat off to Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado played for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, he won the ACC title against Scotty Barnes, Florida State last year, and ultimately winning the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He was undrafted last year in the NBA, signed a two-way uh, two contract, the New Orleans Pelicans, and... Uh, bouncing back and forth between the G League and the NBA. Uh, finally, through his play, uh, earned himself in March a four-year, $6.5 million contract. This guy was playing um, basketball at the Y like last summer. No anticipation coming into the league. Um, making, I, I mean, this New Orleans Pelicans team again, there was no anticipation of them making the playoffs. They had a great play-in tournament. Uh, Alvarado was a key piece to that. He made life very difficult for Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns, one of the best point guards to ever play the game, earning a lot of respect through uh, his play. Ultimately, like I said, earning himself a massive contract here for himself and his family. So my hat is being tipped to Jose Alvarado, uh, for, for, for showing everybody what he can do and, 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 and earning, earning himself, uh, uh, his way into the league. My hat is off to the two of you again for another great episode. And my hat is also off to everybody out there who has already, or is now going to watch and comment and like, uh, our hype video. If you're an Oiler fan out there, it'll get you in the mood, get you pumped up. 
share it with your friends. It's on our Instagram page. As I said before, it's also on YouTube uh, and on the Ordinary Podcasting Network's website. That is ordinarypodcasts.com. Check it out. Share this podcast with your friends, your family. It's always fun to hear what people have to say. We've got lots of great comments and things like that. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. As always, that's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. My hat in the uh, my hat is being tipped. Uh, my hat. How do I say this again? My hat is off. I'm taking too. my hat off. I'm taking my hat off. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty Six territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.